Mike. Hey, Michelle. Hey. Welcome to JMM, Michelle 507. Mike, if I feel the urge to not tell you something, should I still tell you? Michelle, you totally had that line planned out. I could tell. <laughs> I did. You're right. Uh, yeah, tell me whatever you want. Or keep <laughs> a secret from me, whatever you want. Okay. Michelle, you were it. you were right about two major things in this uh, episode. The marriage. Wait, what? You were breaking up. I didn't hear what you said. You what, what did... were right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I heard Saul's it. Saul's marriage and yeah. or Saul and Kim's marriage. Jimmy and Kim's marriage and right. Saul's clientele. He hired Lalo. Hired him. I guess is the way to say it. But those were two things I did not think would happen, and you totally called it. Well, with Kim. I was I was just guessing. I just couldn't believe she said that at the end of the last episode. And when she did, I figured there was some reason for them to throw it in other than just to tease us. It was funny, the poll we had. What did you think about that on what Twitter? What were the final results of the poll? Um, Yeah, well, the final result was that more people thought that they would. It doesn't say the exact number. Uh, 17 people voted, though. And the final result was that just it was it was neck and neck is what it was. But 52.9 percent said yes and 47.1 percent said no. You don't you don't have to say 17 people voted. She could have could have just said like a a majority of 5 percent voted that they would get married out of all the people that voted. Well, I love that people. I know, but we want people to think like 17,000 people voted. Not oh, seventeen okay. people. Okay. We want to be deceptive, Michelle. Right. <laughs> um, but Raji, I think is how you would pronounce her name. It's at Rajpaj. She came on and she actually like seriously called it. She said, um, let me actually read her comment. She said, I'm curious if they do it just as a formality because married people can't testify against each other in court, right? But I've been told even that isn't black and white. Yeah, that was a good call, but I liked when they got married that they actually looked at each other and did a couple of marriage things that it wasn't just a legal firewall. It was kind of a romantic thing between them. Yeah, it it was a really interesting little scene where we start off. It was real methodical at first, just going through all the unromantic steps that you do to get married. The uh, Saul, we find out, had been married twice, and we see he's had to show proof of the disillusion of both of those marriages. And then it cost $25, which Saul paid. And there's no glitter, no bubbles, no rice, no rings. But Huell was there as a witness and offering to steal a ring for Kim. But, but yeah, they, the looks between them, it was more than just this arrangement thing. Yeah, that's what I think, too. Yeah. So, Michelle, before we get into this episode, I sent you a link to an article about Lalo potentially being the greatest Breaking Bad villain of both shows. What did you think about that? I'm going to reserve judgment because I don't know yet. Yeah, that's Um, true. We don't know what he does after this episode. But I would say he's dang sure got the potential to be the worst villain of all. Worse than Jack, the uncle of the Nazis. Worse than Walt, I think. 
I think Lalo loves hurting people. And I don't think Walt did. I think Walt did it. He didn't stop at anything to get to his to his end. He, but Lalo just like he doesn't even remember this poor slob's name or who he was at the money change store. It's like who was that? Who was that? Who was that family? Oh yeah, that guy. Oh, whatever. Like he doesn't even care. Yeah, it, it's very sociopathic. And I agree with you. Walt wouldn't stop at anything to get to his end, but his end was like the focus. It wasn't just blaze the trail as wide as you can. And even what Walt did to Jane, I mean, spoiler alert, but Walt kind of, you know, felt bad about it when he did it with Jane. Yeah. I mean, Walt didn't do anything to Jane though. Walt just walked in at a time that he could have stopped what Jane had done. And I know that that's semantics, but... Well, some people might argue with about that and you about that. I think he shakes Jesse awake and Jane rolls over when he shakes Jesse. And he kind of, without having done that, might not have disturbed her sleep. But yeah, he was passive when he should have been rescuing. But... He was sad about it. And Lalo, I've never seen regretful about anything he does. No, he didn't even remember it. It's not even a blip on his radar. I agree. All right, Michelle. So uh, we get the reason for the marriage. It's to uh, either we got to figure out a way to back out of all this or we just have to not tell anyone. And the best way to not tell anyone is to use what was her name's uh, description in the comments? Raji. Raji. R-A-H-J-I-E. Raji, I think. Raji's uh, very brilliant interpretation that you can't testify against a spouse. So however legally binding that really is. But right. that's what right. that's what they intended. Yeah, that was really a smart comment though. That was that was good and I hadn't even thought about it until she said it. And as soon as she said it I thought, I bet that's it. And so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what it is, and it is that, but I do like that there is, like, the romance and stuff in it, too. It's not like they hate each other, but they're getting married to avoid doing this, Well, right? they don't hate each other yet, but they don't hate each other now. <laughs> right. They even have, like, a mini little honeymoon. So, yeah, things are starting to fall in place, Michelle, and makes sense. The um, Even the next episode, entitled Bagman, makes a little bit of sense. If Jimmy is the one, indeed, who has to go get the $7 million, he's the bagman for carrying that cartel money back into court. Yeah, we're coming up on it. Three more episodes after this one, so... And they normally, if they follow suit with what they normally do, the penultimate episode is usually the fireworks episode. So I kind of felt like this episode was a, other than the marriage, I felt like it was kind of a setup episode and not that it wasn't great because you have to have setup episodes if you're going to knock something out of the park. But I kind of think that might be what they were doing with this episode was just putting everything in place for us. Well, I think it's going to have to be an action packed or, content packed to content dense final three episodes to fill in all these blanks because like even Herr Gruber or whatever his name is, Herr Schuler talks about his past in Santiago with Gus. I mean, that's, that's the Chile um, angle that we've been wondering about 
what happened in Chile with Gus, and now he's friends with this dude back in Santiago. They did something together that, that where they saved each other, or he saved Gus, or Gus saved him, or some damn thing. Yeah, I, I, I've got questions about that part when we get there. I'm not sure I understood exactly what Gus was thinking in that. So, All right, Michelle, but, what happens in this episode? Well, after after the the marriage and after they're actually married, they go walking out, and Kim doesn't even have, to have time for lunch. They have a quick kiss and a promise to be home early. And then while they were going through all these little tedious kind of unromantic steps, Saul's phone was ringing off the hook. And as soon as they part ways, it rings again and it's Nacho. And he has a client for Saul and lockup, Jorge de, de Guzman. So, of course, we find out that's Lalo. And well, then we you don't admit- want to talk about the, the wedding ceremony? Okay, let's do. Let's talk about it. That was all pre-episode stuff, Michelle. Now this is the actual scene It was. Scene yep. I was just going to say that the very first scene or one of the very first scenes we see is Jimmy's pinky ring, which yes. seems to be very Jimmy and not very Saul. It's like an anchor to Jimmy and his innocence of the past with Marco and it's Marco's ring. So it's like Jimmy's playtime of Saul when he was pulling capers with Marco. It's not the real cartel Saul that we have to, unfortunately we're being dragged into with this, uh, relentless track of Jimmy's life. He's going to be cartel Saul now pretty soon. But this little pinky ring was like a kind of a, I think he does it when he remembers Marco and he remembers the capers and maybe, maybe a lighter time in his life, less serious time in his life. Okay. Um, but anyone, anyway, we saw that close up of the ring. It reminded me of like how gnarly people's fingers look when you get close up on them. Because, Michelle, I've been working on the West Coast Project Sprinter van, and I've been taking yeah. pictures of parts because you can Google search parts. And some I have these little, small, tiny electronic pieces, so there's no way to, like, hold it the right angle, so I hold it with my fingers, and I take, like, a macro zoomed-in picture. Man, and your cuticles look like shit when they're, up, when they're zoomed in that tight. Your cuticles do not look good. And I thought that Jimmy's fingers didn't look that good in this tight pinky ring shot. Maybe you need a manicure, Mike. Maybe. Yeah. You got to get those cuticles looking good, you know? I also thought, Michelle, that their briefcases were kind of snuggling in the before the wedding. They were laying up against each other, and that was kind of a cozy shot. Well, that's a romantic notion, Mike. And Huel was their witness. Huel. Um, Jimmy's had, like you said, two previous marriages that he had to prove that were dissolved. Um, and then Jimmy refers to Kim's dream as a 12 year old of what she might be like as a princess getting married to like a prince, right? It's like not working out that way. Well, yeah. I mean, I think he feels bad for that's kind of the best he can offer her, so to speak at this point. And Kim lets it go. And besides the judge being super tired looking and bored with the whole event, I thought that uh, Huel and the girl, the other girl witness, were a pretty cute couple. Oh, that's a good point. Matchmaking for them, huh? Yeah, I was being sarcastic. Oh, okay. 
Anyway. I, I think that's, that's actually a good point. Yeah, he's like 6'2", and she's 5'1". And probably 120 pounds lighter than him. Well. All right, sorry. So then we get the call, the call from Lala. Right, right, with with that. And then Saul and Lalo appear before a judge just immediately. That's in the next scene. And he's charged with, of course, the murder of this guy, Fred, from, from the Travel Wire shop and many other things, many, many other things. Saul even says, don't bother reading them all. They're so long. And his bail, his bond is denied. Bail is denied. And, of course, Saul's objecting, but it's denied. So, was there anything else you want to talk about that? No, I think this is pretty smart way of getting Jimmy more and more involved with Lalo. Because he doesn't think he's going to have to be that involved. He thinks he can just try hard, pretend to try hard. And there's no way this dude's going to get bail. So, there's no way... Really, that he, you know, he's going to get convicted. So there's no, you know, Jimmy can try really hard. He'll look okay to Lalo in the cartel, and he'll be out of it. He'll be done with. Right, because Lalo's going to go away for, you know, a long time or ever. Considering is what I think the consensus is. The thought is. Okay, then we go to that meeting between Kim and Rich and Kevin, and they're sucking up pretty hard to Kevin in that meeting. They're taking full responsibility for everything that happened. And Kim goes into this, like, you know, really kissy butt thing where she's like, the day you hired me was the best day of my professional life. And yesterday was the worst day of my professional life. And I'm not going to let it happen again. And Paige just said, man, Paige has gotten pretty. Can we talk about that for just a minute? She has really come into her own, that character. Every time she shows up on here, she is prettier than the time before. I don't know what's going on with her. But anyway, sorry, I digress. But she's standing up for Kim, and she's talking about, yes, but, you know, she's like standing there kind of pleading with Kevin, too. We've opened 24 branches in 18 months, and Kim's been here, and then... Kevin tells Kim about Jimmy and says, well, first he's like, um, I expected more. Thanks for coming in. I mean, just stands there looking at him. And he stands there looking long enough until Paige gets the message and comes out and goes, okay, you know. Well, actually, Paige says the one, says, thanks for coming in. She dismisses him because he's just staring at him and not going to say anything else. And then as they're walking out, he tells Kim about Jimmy, you could do a lot better. And I don't think Kim liked that at all. Yeah, I think Kevin, I think Paige likes Kim pushing back on Kevin just because she has to put up with all his shit all the time and she can't really push back. But this quasi third party, even though she's in, you know, a hired contracted relationship person with Kevin, Kim can push back a little bit and say, look, dude, if you don't like it, don't like our advice, fire us. If you want to work with us, listen to us. She can, Paige can't really do that. Paige might get fired if she does that. So I think sure. Paige likes Kim standing up. And plus, well, you know, girl power, right? And stand up to this buffoon. Kevin, uh, this scene to me, Kevin is sort of fake intimidation. You know, it's, it, Kim clearly has way more balls than Kevin. 
and more balls than Rich. Rich kind of follows her back in meekishly. I guess they're worried about the money. If Kevin fires them, their firm loses a contract and the money. But it's Kim who, you know, makes this I mean, happen. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we, we can, okay, we got to stop and think. Mesa Verde is Kim's only client. I don't have to stop and think, Michelle. I've said my piece. <laughs> and yeah, but they're both. Rich has a firm. He's got. It doesn't other... matter. He's not going to hire somebody unless she is making a lot of money. Well, she was that's hired because he's got a successful track record. Well, right, right, but it's okay. But Kim did this before she went there. This was Kim's only client. Mesa Verde pays her a lot of money. It's not like this is one of her clients. Kim could turn around and in two days have another high-paying gig. It's not like she's going to starve if Kevin fires her. Of course not. But the point is, is that this is an important client. But Kim knows, you know, I don't think it's necessarily girl power or anything like that. I think it's right power. Kim knows she's right. The stuff she's saying is right, and the stuff she's saying needs to be said, and that's just that. Yeah, and but I'm just saying between Paige and Kim, it's like, yeah, put put his ass in his place. It's good for because you, Kim. Because it needs to be put in, in, yeah, in his Yeah, I know. Place. You're right. I'm just it's, I'm, I'm it's good being for misogynistic about it, but it's probably a little true that Paige, it's a little bit more relishing to her because it's a woman putting him in his place and not Rich doing it. Well, it... It would be insulting if it were Ridge overriding Kim in this, mainly because we've seen Ridge. No, be Ridge kind of, putting Kevin in his place would have not been as satisfying to Paige as Kim putting Kevin in his place. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Also, but, Kim, I thought in this scene, Kim mirrors Kevin. She acts. She she acted just the way Kevin acts when he's bold and blustery to people. She was kind of bold. like she walks back in. Remember, Kevin walked back in, or he walked back to Saul she, when he found the number. She she kind of mirrored him, which people they say psychologically people admire people who mirror them. Like if you you lean against a wall a certain way, then you you see the other person lean the same way. They have a kind of an in, intimate. More intimate communication than if they don't mirror each other. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, she... Okay, they walk out of the meeting because they're dismissed like little children. They're discussing whether or not they're going to be able to keep the client. And Rich is all kind of milk toast about it and everything. And Kim, luckily, goes, you know what? No. And I don't know that that comment about Saul isn't what gave her the backbone to go in there and do that. Now, of course, she's right in that, well, everything, but she's particularly right that you wouldn't want to have to walk on eggshells around him. You couldn't possibly do a good job for a company like that if you're just a yes man. An attorney cannot be a yes man. They can't. I mean, and do a good job. So she's completely right. But I don't know that she had the the backbone to go in there and do it like that until he made that comment about her now husband. She married the guy this morning. And that was completely inappropriate of Kevin to say that. Just, yeah, maybe, just like maybe that was had, the trigger. Well, just like if Kim had said something about Kevin's wife. I mean, 
You just don't. And I realized that Saul had something to do with that. And he can say anything nasty he wants to about Saul. And I don't think anybody could blame him, even to Kim. But telling her she could do better, I mean, that's none of Kevin's business at all. And that was that's what I didn't like about it at all. But anyway, you're right. She goes back in there, and she just lets him have it, right? She's like, Kevin, we owe you the truth. And uh, the truth is you ignored our advice, you know, and that's the truth. And then she goes into all the different ways. It's their job to advise him. And if he won't listen, then they're in the wrong relationship. And whoever you choose, I suggest you listen a little bit better. And Kevin luckily is smart enough anyway, at least to respond to that well and says, well, I'll see you Thursday. So he must he must not be quite as buffoonish as we are saying. No, I think he is. He's weak. His his character in the show is weak too. He's just the whole Kevin Mesa Verde thing is just an illumination on Kim and a little bit on Jimmy. But it's you know, there's who cares about Mesa Verde now? Who cares about You're the, right. It's, and Kevin, who cares about who cares about Paige? It's just it just sh- it shines a fo- more focused light upon Kim, so we can understand her. Yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. Okay, then we go with Lalo in that private uh, law. What are those rooms called? I don't know what they're called. Where uh, prison detainees meet with their counsel? I don't know. Holding cell. Holding cell, maybe okay. But Lalo's in there with Saul, who, and he's asking about the JMM on his bag, which was pretty interesting. Saul says it means justice matters most, and Lalo laughs. And Saul's going into, you know, what what he can do, and Lalo, you know, he's just shooting down everything. I don't want a trial. I don't want a deal. I want to be out on bond. Now, I took that as I want to be out on bond because I'm not going to be here. I'm going to leave. Lalo says that if Saul can get him out on bond, that he's going to be a friend of the cartel. Time to get yourself a new motto, just make money for the JMM, which was our title. Yeah, if Jimmy's becoming Saul by little incremental degrees, this is kind of a lurch forward for him. Because even later on, we hear him describing to Kim that, like, friend of the cartel means a ranch in Montana. It means like what your own ski plane or whatever, jet plane, airplane it means a lot of money. And so he's kind of enticed by this and he's more enticed than afraid. And he should be pretty afraid. I think of this friend of the cartel. He's a little bit stunned right there. You can tell he's very taken aback when Lalo is talking about that kind of money. He's talking about that. And I I feel like he's warring right here. He's doing this internal warring between good and evil. And it's not even just the normal Saul's shenanigans with prostitutes and stuff like that. But it's the it's the it's the deeper warring, the painful stuff. If you're going to transform into this, then you have to literally like give birth to Saul. You you have to go through this process. And I really feel that with him. 
um, there. And then again, when he's sitting in the courtroom and he's looking back at Fred's family and he's really, he's, he's fighting and who's going to win. I mean, yeah, Jimmy's been involved in bigger money deals before, like the Kettleman's and even the stupid, what's, what's the little statues, those little um, statues he steals from people and stuff. Those are oh, the th- Hummels, yeah. Hummel th- Hummels are thousands of dollars, and the Kettleman's, you know, a couple hundred thousands of dollars. But they, so what if they catch on to them? That's like, oh, the Hummel, the the Hummels, the the Kettleman's are mad at me. You know, who, who freaking cares? But if the cartel gets you get on the wrong side of those dudes, then it really is big time. So this is why I say I think it's kind of a lurch forward into Saul. For Jimmy at this point, and not just another little caper. Even a even a hundred thousand dollar caper is way different than this cartel bond he's forming with uh, Lalo and his crew. Well, yeah, I mean he knows what Lalo did, and he is he's struggling. He's really struggling here between do I really. Not that he wouldn't be a good attorney to him anyway, because that's his job, I think, and that's what he does. But but does he do his, um, you know, little tricks and stuff at the expense of everything? This is a painful thing. And See, I think I'm disagreeing with you about he's struggling because this is a, a defense of Lalo who murdered an, in, an innocent, essentially boy, young man. I think this is Jimmy becoming Saul because this is big time. This is way bigger time than a hundred thousand dollars. This is potentially millions. This is like his his greed almost taking a lurch forward, not not his defending evil taking a lurch forward. Not his defense of the crime being bigger. It's his greed being bigger. Then what's the protagonist in it? I mean, if you just have an option to make a whole lot of money. And it's not on the back of evil. Why wouldn't you? Well, that's because I said that getting caught by the Kettlemans is home big shit. So the Kettlemans are mad at me. Getting caught by the cartel or getting in the wrong uh, favor of the cartel is really big. He's It's fear and greed, I think, more than uh, okay. defending an evil, an evil that I should not defend. Then what's what's with Jimmy? The remember Saul suggests to Walt when Badger gets caught, like, can't you just bump this guy off? Why do you have to try to def- you know? <laughs> why are you tr- even trying to get him out of jail? Just you know, if 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 you have a problem, you you knock him off, right? Well, because he's already Saul at that point, which kind of has that, you know, sociopathic kind of Maybe. way of looking at it. He's he's clearly more in the Saul at that point than he is here. But I, I think his I think his transformation here is about his greed and fear more than holy shit, I'm defending a murderer. No, I don't think he minds I mean minds, whatever, defending a murderer. I'm that's not what I'm saying. But I think that he is warring between do I really do this? Do I really want to get in bed with the cartel? Not necessarily because he's fearful, although he obviously is, but also because it's a pretty, you know, this is a bad situation to be in. And I feel like he has the option here to not or or to do it. Remember before I said I don't think he has an option. When the, when Nacho came and picked him up, I didn't feel like he had an option to defend Crazy Eight. 
But I feel like he does have an option. All he has to do is be a crappy attorney and they won't want him anymore. But he's, you know, not going to do that. We don't think. I mean, I'm sure he's not. So, you know, that's, he, he's, he, he has the option now. And he's trying to decide, is this the bet I want to get in or not? And it may even be like, do I want to get in this bed or do I want to be in Kim's bed? Well, he buys we'll Lalo's suggestion that your monogram should be just make money, not James Morgan McGill or whatever, he, Jim, whatever Jimmy says it is. Justice matters most, yeah. Okay, so then we go to Mike, and he's reading one of those books that he bought for a quarter, The Little Prince, to Kaylee. And once she goes to sleep, he goes in the kitchen, and Stacy's washing dishes, and they're having a little chit-chat, and he brings up Maddie. Yeah, Michelle, you just breezed past like a masterful piece of literature, The Little Prince. What do you know about The Little Prince? Um, I don't know that book. I honestly. thought when I first read it, I actually first read it by lis listening to it as an audio book because I thought, well, this is kind of a cool idea. I'll listen to like a children's story as an audio book at night. It'll help me fall asleep, like a, you know, fairy tale-ish type thing. But mm -hmm. The Little Prince is like a genius piece of work um, about how adults don't see things like children anymore and because they don't see things like children anymore they lose out on they miss the meaning of things they don't see important things the way they should be perceived because they you know they're too busy with work or too busy with life and you know children kind of get more involved in things and want to understand them and the children ask a million questions about things so anyway, this little prince, if you ever get a chance, you should read it or listen to it or find out more about it because it's really a great story. And every adult, I think, should read The Little Prince, even though it's kind of kind of masked in this children's story, you know, cover. <laughs> but it's really a philosophy that all adults should attempt to read into and understand. It's really cool that they picked this book for Mike to read to Kaylee. I don't know if he knew it at the time. But you could you could listen even as he was talking to her. I forget the particular line he read from the book, but it was a fairly deep line. And Kaylee, you know, was eating it up. She's sleepy. It made her it worked. It made her fall asleep. But she seemed pretty interested too. Well, I just I just now looked it up when we were talking about it, and it says that the main theme behind it is the importance of looking beneath the surface to find the real truth and meaning of things. So it's almost like in Fargo, where the where the um, the little robot cartoon character popped into Fargo. That's kind of Little Prince ish. Yeah, I can help. Yeah, it's like a it's like a. Take a weird, take a weird wide view angle of what problem is you're confronted with, and take a look at it another way. And so this little alien cartoon guy on Fargo comes and pops in, and that's very little princeish. If you if you want a small kind of analogy to what I think Little Prince is about. Okay, that's cool. I like that. But so. Mike brings up Maddie, which completely surprises Stacy. And because if Mike has not been 
he wouldn't talk about Maddie. He wouldn't do anything. He he got mad. That's what he pitched the fit at Kaylee about. But then Mike tells her that he's better, and he's decided to play the cards he's been dealt. And he did seem better. Yeah, but I don't know if Stacy thought so. I think she's pretty reluctant to buy in wholeheartedly yet to his I'm better. Really? Yeah, I think she's reluctant to, to do that. I thought she was, like, just so relieved, you know. She's like, once he said that, she's like, oh, and she's talking about the pictures of Maddie with Santa Claus. And Mike goes into the story with that. And she just, she's so happy, I think. So you think his visitation rights are totally restored now with Kaylee? My guess would be yes, but I don't know. Well, you've been right all along, so I'm going to have to disagree (laughs) with you, Michelle, and keep my stubborn ass the position i i think he's got more road to earn back this total 100 percent time with kaylee see i think mike has mike is now mike mike is the no half measures mike now well and i don't agree with stacy i don't agree with my premise that stacy is right i just think she probably still because remember i remember in breaking bad stacy being angry at mike and and dis, they've disconnected at parts of Breaking Bad. But I say that Pop Pop should be with that kid, that kid kid. That he's a great influence for that little Kaylee. Except for the fact that he's like a crime enforcer. He definitely loves Kaylee. I don't think anybody could argue that. And he loved his son. And... So, yeah, yeah. I just I think- see Stacy seeing a crack in this healing that Mike was portraying. It's like, okay, I'm back. I'm better. I decided to play the cards the way they were dealt, and I'm kind of back to where I was. I think she's wary of that, and I think that crack— What made you think that? Because of what happens in Breaking Bad, where she's like different. She's—they're they're not even—at some point, I don't think they're even talking to each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to, like, take— Breaking Bad and Mike and all this with a grain of salt because the timelines do not match up with Stacy and Kaylee and all that stuff. I don't understand any of that. She was a little bitty girl in Breaking Bad, and we know she's not a little bitty girl. And I don't know if they were just trying to show that or thinking that we'd forget or something. They don't no, usually do they that. No, they don't do that. There's okay, some shows what? might, but they don't. Okay, but what? That they they did screw up her age. There's no no way around it. Kaylee was not twelve when Breaking Bad started. I mean they they screwed that up. And I don't know. I mean I don't know. I don't think they'd screw up the relationship between Mike and Stacy. And the reason, more importantly, the reason for why Stacy is apart from Mike or, you know, they have a difference of opinion on things. The thing, the major thing is Kaylee. So whether or not the girl that put about in Breaking Bad, huh? Do you remember what they were fighting about in Breaking Bad? No, I can't, but I'm thinking that this is probably the core of it. Maddie. Yeah. Well, I feel for Stacy in that. Stacy basically wants to move on from Maddie and Mike does not want to forget Maddie. And they, you know, yeah, well, that wasn't what was happening here, though. Stacy wanted to talk about Maddie. 
and Mike has never been one to talk to her. I imagine that if you lose somebody that you really love, you want to talk to other people who also really loved this person. And I don't know how many other people really loved Maddie. I mean, where's his mom? I don't think he has a mom, I don't, you know, around. I don't think he has sisters or brothers. And she wants to. That's part of the grieving process is talking. And so she wants to talk about him. She's never been able to do that. And the fact that Mike was would now be willing to do that, I think it thrilled her. And, yeah, of course, I mean, she wants to move on because that's what you do. But you don't stop loving somebody. Well, you're, I'm not saying one or the other of them is right. I'm saying that's the point of their difference. Yeah. Mike can't keep – he can't keep Stacy like – talking about Maddie every time they come over for Christmas if Stacy marries a new guy. But maybe she's ready to move on, and maybe Mike can't let that happen in his own mind. That Maybe that's the point of difference. Neither one is right or wrong. It's just what it is. I think that's what the story, that's what they try to portray in this, in this saga, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul saga. Okay. So then Kim tells Saul what's happened with Kevin. And then Saul says one of my least favorite quotes in the whole wide world. I don't know why it aggravates me so bad. I don't know why it is something that is nails on a chalkboard to me. But he says, you spoke truth to power. So then Kim asks about Saul's day. And he says, well, I got married. And then they start fooling around. And in the middle of fooling around, he says he has the urge not to tell her something. And then he tells her. I don't ever portray Kim and Jimmy as Kim and Saul. I never even think of them. It's weird to hear you talk that way about those those two persons as Kim and Saul. And I'm, I agree with you, and I think I jimmy him again in a minute. But what I decided to do is I'm taking notes with this, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, and it's probably annoying to people, and if it is, I apologize. But I call him whatever I'm feeling when I write it down. And no, I know she didn't marry Saul, but for some reason I'm getting like the Saul vibe, maybe because he is keeping something from Kim. At that point. Yeah, I understand your ref- your point of reference. It's, but to me, it's kind of like Skyler and Heisenberg. You know, it's all, no matter what Walt did, he was always Walt when he was with Skyler. Right. And Walt Jr. and Holly. It was like Walt and his family, not Heisenberg. Right. And Saul is just a character. He's just a, he's not Jimmy. He's a he's a form of Jimmy. Right. You're right, and I don't really know why I did that there. I didn't even notice it till you said it, honestly. But I try not to police myself on it. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't even notice I'd done it there. But he tells her that he has a client who's in the cartel, who's in for murder, and he wants bail. And he says, I can't, but if I could somehow make it happen, I'd be a friend of the cartel. He brings up that friend of the cartel again, and he's like, you know, which— means money and Kim asks him but do you want to be a friend of the cartel and he says um, that he's going to put up a fight for show and he didn't want to tell her but he thought he so so he thought he should tell her and then she's glad that he told her 
and they continue. I thought that was a really neat, intimate moment, and I wrote Jimmy here between Kim and Jimmy. Yeah, to me, this whole thing with them getting married and their little mini honeymoon carried across the threshold, thats it was kind of sad because I see Kim as kind of a a vestige of Jimmy, like a thread to his past. And she's fraying and becoming thinner and thinner, and pretty soon it's going to break, and Saul's going to be on his own merry way. Maybe, but I'm telling you, it's something like there's something about Kim that 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 molds and softens and and glows when she is with him talking about this stuff. Yeah, so what? That's that's true, but that doesn't ma- that doesn't mean that Jimmy's dissolving and Saul's becoming more solid. Are you sure? Jimmy and Kim are going to break up, Michelle, somehow, some way. And then Mike. they're going to be back together or not, but maybe back together as Gene and Kimmy, Gene and Kim. But Jimmy is fading away, and she's and this it's a sadness. It's like a it's reminiscence of Jimmy and Kim when they were back in the mail room, learning about each other and becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. And now Jimmy's entranced with this cartel in a house in Montana and being a big shot. He yells at Howard about how big he's going to be and how little Howard is and. Howard's pretty freaking big as a lawyer. So Jimmy's, you know, Jimmy's very Walt-like in this episode, I think. He's an empire builder. He's building the empire of Saul, and Jimmy's becoming forgotten. And Kim is a part of Jimmy, not a part of Saul, to me, anyway. Well, so far, certainly. And I think you're probably right in the future. But they still have this interaction she still has an interaction with Saul, even though, it, you know, he's Jimmy. And there's something about Saul that gets her going. There's something about Saul that molds her. And it's a real interesting thing to watch. And I don't know if, um, what's her name? Ray Seahorn? Ray Seahorn. Ray Seahorn. She plays this just expertly and i don't know if she doesn't even maybe mean to but it's really something to uh, see. she knows what she's doing if you ever listen to the insider podcast and stuff she's way into the script and she knows the motivations of everybody in the she's into the story and she's not just a good actress playing a good part she's like she's fully bought into this but most actresses, they can say lines and stuff, but it's very few who can, like, elicit feels. And she makes me feel, I mean, I can feel the stuff she's feeling. I sense her feelings over this and this softness and, or maybe it's not softness, but malleability, if the word matches, to the darkness of Saul. And no, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but I think it's a interactive thing that they have going on between them. I don't know. Okay, then we go to Lalo and he gets a phone slid under the door in prison or in jail, I guess, in his cell and he calls Nacho. They do a little business talk and then he's got something that he wants Nacho to do. 
Yeah, they want Ocho Loco, Crazy 8, to take care of things on 6th uh, Street. It's hard to say that. 6th Street. Uh, and eventually burn down Frang and help, you know, destroy Gus. So, um, Michelle, did you grasp this, why they want, why Gus wants to get, help get Lalo out of jail? Why not just let him rot in jail? Um... Yeah, I mean, I think I did. Did you? Yeah, well, why do you think they want to help get Lalo out of jail? Because Lalo from jail is still handling things. That's what Nacho tells Mike. And that can't happen. So I think they want him out so they can end him. Yeah, I think you're right. That's what I didn't get really grasp all this till I watched it the second time. That they they need to get to Lalo. They can't get to him while he's in jail. And this is probably well, the beginning of the end of Lalo. His freedom, his getting out on bond is probably, he's probably not around for this world much longer than episode eight or nine. But Mike, this has been set up for a, think about how smart, how forward thinking Gus is in this. This has been set up for a long time. That means this whole Mike going to the librarian and getting her to call about the car. When all that was going on, I thought they were just not setting Lalo up because he did do all this, but making it to where he would be arrested for what he had done. They were assuring that. That's not what they were doing. That's not what they were doing. They were making sure that he would be arrested and then be able to get out on bond. All of that was set up ahead of time. So whatever they have planned for Lalo, it's it's already done. Well, we've never doubted Gus's masterness at mastering the, the long game, the chess game. No, but that was kind of shocking to me when I realized that Mike was not setting Lalo up to go to prison. And he wasn't really setting him up. He was just making sure, like I said, he was found out what he had done. He was setting it up where he would get bail, where he would have to be released. Because well, it's maybe like, it would have otherwise it would have been hard to get to to Lalo and maybe now that they know he's going to be released from prison they can get to him easier they know well, what day he's going to be released or something no it, see it's bigger than that because when Gus is talking to Peter he says if anything happened to Lalo right now I would be blamed for it no matter what because you know Lydia is saying can't, don't people get shanked in prison or whatever silly stuff she's saying and Gus is like, this can't happen. Gus almost has to protect him at this point because if anything happened to him, he's going to be blamed for this. Right. Well, it's like Gus protecting Hector until he could have his way with him. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it's like. But he has something bigger planned. He wants him to get out. He can't just be get him out so he can get to him. It's got to be get him out so he can make it look like something. And I do not know what. I don't have a clue. But this whole thing was just masterful. And when they when they put this into effect, it was like they are really teeing something big up. They have to be. 
right? Because that was a lot of episode to go through, a lot of time spent to go through to get Lalo both in prison and then get him, um, you know, bond. Put, put enough doubt in the tampering of witnesses in the judge's mind that he has to be released. Yeah, I they, thought it was they play a long game. I and mean, look at Nacho. Nacho had to go through getting shot in the gut to prove his value to um, the Salamanca family, to prove his allegiance. Well, yeah, but th- and, and that's the other side. And I think Gus is even a slower burn maybe than the Salamancas are. Or was it? Or was that Gus's side? What do you mean? Who shot Lala, uh, Nacho? Victor and Tyrus. They shot him on purpose. Yeah, was that? But That's that Gus. was okay. You're right. You're right. That was Gus's side then. Yep. Yep. Okay. So uh, let's see. Then we go to Nacho meeting with Mike in an abandoned factory area of some kind. Nacho says he's not going to talk to him until he helps him with his dad. And Nacho wants out. Mike insinuates that he has a way out for Nacho and his dad. And he tells him the cops are not the way to go with this. Of course, we've talked about that. And then he says, what are you not talking to me about? Nacho tells him that Lalo put him back in charge and wants him to burn down a Los Pollos Hermanos. And Mike says, then Lalo isn't out of the picture, is he? And he speeds off in his car. Yeah, I got to just comment briefly on this scene that the most beautiful scenes so far this season are with, with Nacho. That factory with the glass broken windows and the light shining through it from last episode was really cool. He's been in there a couple times. Right. And then this one with the landscape in the background and they're they're both, you know, it's like a flat horizon to horizon, left to right. I forget which side each one is on, but Nacho and Mike being spread out across this portrait of like New Mexico desert. Just beautiful looking. Yeah, but they always put, like, the remnants of something in it. Have you noticed? It's not just the middle of a field, so it's not the coordinates. They're at some place that where there's just just the skeletal remains, usually. Yeah, it's ruins. It's like the yes. ruins of that warehouse with all the windows. Is Half of them are broken out and shattered in this yes. flattened old hotel or whatever it is. Really so, cool. Michelle, the other thing about this scene is I asked your husband which car he would drive Mike's crappy old Oldsmobile or or Nacho's cool looking red what is it Michelle? <sighs> Javelin. Javelin. And I always yes, think that me. Javelin is a girly looking car cuz my teacher had one. I think I said this before. My my fourth or third grade teacher had a Javelin. Was it a girl teacher? Yeah. It's not a girly car. Yeah, it's kind of a roundy girly car. Oh, come on. It's also Mike's car is way smarter than Nacho's car because Nacho looks. I mean, it's a it's a muscle car, bright red, very standout looking car. Mike's car is very nondescript, Oldsmobile. I don't it's know. It's very flashy. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all to the story. Just a side comment, but I thought it was funny what your husband's answer was. What did he say? If he would have well, he said likes he likes Mike's car. Oh, okay. the old the nondescript Oldsmobile. What do you like? 
I like the Oldsmobile too because the other car is too flashy. It's too gaudy. It's girly. It's like a pair. It's, it's like wearing girly. red lipstick. Oh my gosh, it's not girly, but okay. Okay. This next scene, well, no, not the next scene. Wait. Okay. Next, we go to Gus, and he's in the Madrigal, some kind of board meeting, right? Houston. Huh? Houston. Yes, but it's Madrigal uh, HQ. Yes, where everybody's talking about their companies and talking them up, and Gus has brought snacks. A setting, spice. by the way, Michelle, very similar to HHM with their nice boardroom table, their conference table. This one was shaped in a V, but very, very glossy and elegant. The boardroom of a criminal enterprise is just like that of a highfalutin lawyer law firm. Yep. Yeah, they're putting on airs a little bit. But Gus has brought some snacks, some spice curls, bragging on his he business. He didn't bring too. some snacks, Michelle. He He's did. pitching his new pro. It's a it's a business meeting. He's pitching a new product. Well, like, oh, hey, I brought some it. snacks, everybody. Here's some curly cues if it's you want. It's not up to them. He's already done it. He's just telling them, and he brought some snacks. Gus no, is a one-upsman. he's pitching his new product, and he's showing it to them so they can see it and smell it and taste it and look at it. It's a business meeting. What do you mean, <laughs> pitching it? He's part of Madrigal. Well, Los Pollos Hermanos is a division in Madrigal, a company within the conglomerate, and he's showing off his new product. Yeah, he's showing it off, right? Okay. Well, if you if you made a break shoe like and you sh bears, but I'm saying he's talking up his his business, and you know he brought snacks to show. No, he didn't bring snacks. He brought he the product. Didn't. No, I disagree. I think oh he brought. Some, yeah, that's a. He didn't bring all of his products. He just brought his, his new product. His new product. His his. All right. I took it. He brought and I snacks. Could, I took it. Look, look. Hey, everybody. I know we're about to have our meeting, but I brought some snacks. Anybody yeah, want some curly Q that's, fries? That's what he did. Okay, listen. The one girl is talking up her whisker something business or whatever it was, and she's talking, and she's all bubbling and upbeat. And then, of course, Gus stands up. and Well, did she bring snacks, Michelle, or no, was she, she showing didn't. her product? Because Gus one-ups everybody. Well, she was showing her product, her avocado mania. It's a food business, and they're showing their wares. They're not just bringing snacks. Why didn't she bring a snack? She did. She brought the whiskers, whatever, whatever her, what was her business? I don't uh, know. Waffles. Luftwaffle. <laughs> that was funny. Anyway, they're showing their products at a business meeting. They happen to be well, food. But I agree okay. it's food, but it's not just, hey, I brought some snacks, everyone. Dig in. That's, Let's talk about the corporate financials for Q3. That's kind <laughs> of what they did. All right, go ahead. That's what I would do. Anyway, okay, so Gus, I would bring snacks to anything. But um, Gus is shown to his hotel room. Well, first of all, Michelle, did you remember Herr Schuler? I did not. And his French suicide? He's the French suicide dude. He kills himself in the bathroom by shocking himself with the heart defibrillator w way back in Breaking Bad, near the end of Breaking Bad, when all the shit closed in on Madrigal. The, the police came in for their audit that he's so deathly afraid of in this episode, and he knows he's caught, and he goes in and takes off his shirt and attaches the electrodes and kills himself. 
I remember that scene, but I did in, not know that was him. Yeah, that's Herr Schuler. He was doing another food tasting at that particular meeting where he was dipping everything in French, mm-hmm. French and ranch. Taste somebody brought snacks again. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Okay. So... Gus in his room. I thought, Michelle, this was going to be some sort of orgy that Lydia had set up with Herr Schuler. I didn't think it was an orgy, but I thought it was some kind of rendezvous is having with somebody. You look on his face. We don't see Gus um, taken aback very much. And when he opened yeah. that door and it was Lydia, he, that's not who he was expecting. No, he had a very surprised look on his face and a not pleasantly surprised look. Right. Negatively. Okay. But why would so Herr Schuler and Lydia, do you think this is how she got to the top of her division within Madrigal? By sleeping with Herr Schuler? I don't Or do you think they what? were just already there before Gus got to his room? Like was it what? their room or was it Schuler's room? Well what I thought was Gus was there to meet this Herr Schuler, Peter Guy. Well, of course, that's why they were there. But is Lydia with Schuler to also meet, or is Lydia with Schuler in his room as like on a trip with him in the room, like it's Lydia and Business Schuler's room? Business meeting is what I thought. All right. I think Herr Schuler was there to meet with Gus in a not business way, right? Mm, or am I wrong? To meet with Gus or to meet with Schuler? Um. Peter, Herr Schuler, I thought was there to meet with Gus. Yeah. If I said Lydia, I'm wrong. I didn't mean to say that. I think Herr Schuler, I think Gus was expecting, I'm going to call him Peter because that's what Gus was calling him. I think Gus was there to meet with Peter, but I could be wrong. I was going to ask you about this. Gus is there to meet with Peter, clearly, obviously. But why was Lydia, all I'm saying is why is Lydia there in Schuler's room? And Gus is surprised she's there. So that's like makes me wonder was Lydia tagging along on like a, a a trip with Schuler in the hotel to like, you know, keep her position as president of whatever okay. shipping and logistics in place because she's sleeping with him or is she just there? No. no Why is no, she I there? Don't... Let me just say it then. Why is Lydia there? I think Lydia, the way I took this was Gus was going to meet Peter and Peter is getting freaked out. And so in place of meeting Gus for this romantic rendezvous, he has Lydia come in there to um, discuss the business part of it. All right. Prior. I don't know why Lydia was there, so I'm not going to criticize you for offering a suggestion. But it was surprising to me that Lydia was there. She didn't offer much business savvy to this conversation and Gus is surprised that she's there but, so it made me wonder but Peter needs some emotional support he's freaking out he's upset about the 4 million euros and he's had his money tied up for too many years and they're going to catch him and he's kind of freaking out and I assume he wasn't able to have this conversation with Gus in any other way but how does Lydia bring him any semblance of comfort she doesn't offer any strategy, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't I know mean, what. I, don't know. I, I mean, why doesn't he bring his like right hand accountant man or his, you know, 
whatever. His well, maybe nobody director. else knows. <laughs> well, I wouldn't think they would know about this money laundering because that's what it is, right? He's yeah, laundering money through. I don't know. I guess a lot. I think a lot more people in Madrigal know about this than just Lydia and Schuler. But maybe not. I don't know. I, well, Lydia I mean, I just think... seemed like an oddball person to be there, except for the sexual context. I'm trying to place her in. To... I don't. I'm not picturing that. Okay. <clears throat> Todd okay. would be upset if he heard me say that, but he would. Um. The way I have it compartmentalized in my head, okay, you've got Madrigal, which is this, for the most part, maybe, probably, a legitimate company, right? And then you've got this one section of it that Lydia is in charge of, and, and it could just be her that is doing the money laundering where she takes the stuff and puts it through the stuff. Because remember when Mike took his money in, he only talked to Lydia, it was only between Mike and Lydia. There wasn't anybody else. So if this is what Herr Schuler did, then it would just be him and Lydia. Maybe. Maybe you just unraveled the whole mystery. Because why, why the, why, or this is also a question I have. Why in the hell in the world does Madrigal Electromotive have food divisions? They have Luftwaffles and Pollo Hermano. So why, why the hell is a company that makes freaking electromotive parts become involved in the food business. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is of money laundering only. And that's, they make, you know, they make what they make with the food, but it's really to launder money and, and drugs, or maybe it was only to launder money. And Lydia got involved in drugs with the methylamine and stuff with the Czech Republic and all that. I don't know, man, it's a mystery and it's not very clear at this point to me. And maybe, hopefully, not to everybody, and I'm just not an idiot, but I don't see why yet Lydia's involved in this meeting. And I don't really see why yet Electromotive, Electro, uh, Madrigal Electromotive is involved in the fast food business when they're an industrial company. Be like General yeah. Motors and being involved with McDonald's and Burger King. I just felt like it was just a, you know, like a division of it. They have a fast food division because they felt like they could make some money there. I don't know. I didn't think that was that weird, but you probably know a whole lot more about business than I do for all do, I know. You don't really attach like, you know, Popeye's chicken to AT&T, you know, it's just they don't go together. No, but they could certainly be parent owned by one company. Usually not, though. I mean, you could see really? you could see. I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think I don't they are. You could see Coca-Cola and, you know, Nestle making a deal with water, like fresh water, or bottled water or something. But they're beverage companies doing it, not electromotive. I don't know. It's a it's a weird combo to me. And, and it's interesting. Okay, so Gus goes over to him, though, and he, like, puts his hands on his knees, and he reminds him about Santiago, and they're back to the wall, and um, he tells Peter that he's still the same man that he was then, and he's going to, you know, buck up and do what's necessary and stay strong. We've come so very far, and Peter calms down, and they eat and toast and... Decide to go to the rodeo tomorrow. Yeah, there was a bit of a connection, I thought, to Max and the whole initial meth proposal to Donald Audio. 
Maybe Max and Gus way back when proposed to Don Eladio and that obviously didn't go the way they wanted. And maybe Gus found another way to finance it. And it wasn't with Don Eladio. It was with this Madrigal. Somehow got involved with Madrigal Electromotive and convinced the right person there that, hey, there's a lot of money here that we can make. I know you make brake shoes for trucks, but look at this idea. Who knows? Yeah, I have no idea. I did see that they treated Herr Schuler as a child pret pretty much. And maybe you're right. Maybe Lydia is the mother figure, the one who can control him and calm him and keep him kind of on the rails long enough to keep everything together. And maybe, you know, Gus is the one that got him to launder the money or whatever. I mean, we know Gus is in on that. And maybe it is just Gus and Lydia. Maybe the whole rest of the company is clean as far as they're aware. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, then we go to Jimmy's reading about ranches and lavender farms and all this royalty stuff to Kim as she's leaving. And it's this really sweet scene where they're doing that what would we do if we won the lottery kind of game and smiling and kind of being wistful and playful. You know, we can't have a five-car garage because what? You get two and a half cars and I get two and a half cars and just playful. And then Kim leaves and Mike calls and Jimmy gives him the tunnel comment and then Mike knocks on the door and catches Jimmy lying. So Mike's right there. Mike confirms that Saul is representing Lalo and says they need him out on bail and gives him all the paperwork he's going to need to get Lalo out. Yep, and essentially it turns out that it's the fact that Mike kind of, not maliciously, but he manipulated this this librarian lady into thinking certain things and that's why they made it that's why they made her so persuadable i think is because now they need us to believe that like oh yeah he put this he planted this car in her head and she would have believed any car well he tampered is the point and they've got this guy in prison when there's been witness tampering and they've got it um, Saul was saying that it was coming from the prosecution. So if the, if the prosecution was witness tampering, which we know that wasn't the case, but they've done this whole big elaborate thing to make it look like that. Yeah, they did tamper. I mean, they tampered by showing the truth, <laughs> but they tampered. They Absolutely tampered. they tampered. But that was the point. The point was not, again, for the third time I'll say it, the point was not to get him arrested the point was to get him arrested and make it look fishy and that is like just this crazy little twist to it to me okay then we go to nacho and saul uh following the not saul nacho and gus breaking into los pollos hermanos and, man, that was a rough scene to watch. I didn't even like watching that more than once. Nacho's destroying it while uh, Gus is turning on the gas and rigs a frozen chicken to hit a vat of hot oil as it thaws to catch the place on fire. Yeah, this had and, a cool, pretty cool musical interlude while Gus endures more financial pain to stay like one or two chess moves ahead of the Salamancas by going along and 
letting Nacho destroy his property. Yeah, that was... um, What do you think of that? What do you think the end game of that's going to be? It's proving that Nacho's reliable to the Salamancas. He's doing what they want him to do. Right. And Gus is allowing it for what end? To what end? So that he can get the Salamancas. He ends up killing probably Lala. We know he ends up killing Juan Bolsa in Breaking Bad. He alerts the military or somebody, the military police. Juan Bolsa gets gunned down while Gus is on a phone call with him in Breaking Bad. Gus is behind all this shit. He's, you know, he endures this financial pain, temporary financial pain, so he can eventually become the one and only bigger than the cartel drug dealer in the whole Southwest, maybe the whole U.S., Okay, then we've kind of talked about this, but the DA is going over Lalo's paperwork when Saul walks in talking about the PI, Dave Clark, that they've um, been witness tampering. One of them says they'll call the librarian and find out what happened. So Saul put that bug in their ear to get that going. And then we're in court, and Saul was directing Lalo on how to act just like he did those guys in the commercial. I thought that was kind of cool, you know. Be be humble, but don't look down. You know, whatever. I thought that was kind of cool. Pretty crappy courtroom, too, Michelle, by the way. It was like rotted out ceiling tiles, and it just was like water-stained white ceiling tiles. It just looked crappy. It looked cheap and crappy. It looked um, a little dilapidated, for sure. So Lalo's family comes in, ha-ha, and Saul sees Fred's family, and they're devastated. And he's, this is another, this is what we talked about so much earlier, so I won't harp on it here, but it was like he was, I felt like he was really warring with what to say. And I didn't think he was very good. I didn't think he was very Saul good in this particular um, argument and stuff that he had. You couldn't say you didn't think he was very Saul good man? Man, I don't think Saul was very good. Lalo doesn't even recognize the people. He looks back at the white, and I didn't either. He looks back at those four or five white people, and he's like, is that them? And I thought, that's Fred's family. But no, that's the fake family Jimmy has set up to appear to be Lalo's family. Right, so he he can have Lalo doesn't know the difference between them or the real Fred's family. He doesn't even care about Fred's family. Well, the whole thing is that Dave Clark, uh, you know, Mike Ermintrout, tampered with the librarian, and she's been manipulated. And that's what the whole thing was. Saul introduces Lalo's family, quotes, and he's the only dad these kids know. Don't separate this family. But it's very, it's not very good. He, he doesn't do it very good. He keeps glancing back at Fred's family. This is the birth I was talking about earlier. This is the transition. This is the Wolverine uh, change, I think. So as an offhand, I did want to ask you, you know, should justice be like that? Like, you know, these, these attorneys are tasked with doing the very best job they can do for their clients. If they can trick the court and stuff like that, is that part of it? Yes. Okay. I should make sure. No, it is. I mean, should the world have coronavirus right now? No. I mean, should isn't really, the, it's not the right question. 
It just is the way it's the way we've set up our legal system. Not should well, Jimmy act that way within that legal system. Of course he should. He should use every advantage and every tool he has to make his client win. Even to the point of setting up a fake family and fake no, kids? No, that seems to be contempt of court or fraudulent of some kind. Um, but you know lawyers manipulate people and try to convince 12 persons of the peer of the defendant or the plaintiff, I guess, to be swayed one way or another. It's an acting, you know, it's, that's how I we've know, got it set but up. that's not, you know, that's not what justice is. That's justice. our justice system, Michelle. You get yeah. to pick the people that judge it, the 12 people, and then you get to persuade them and you get to block evidence if you think it hurts your side of the story. Well, that's not necessarily, that's not totally 100% true. You get to block some evidence and you get you to get pick to block some all jurors. evidence you're able to. Yeah, if they could, they would block every piece of evidence, even if it shed light on the truth for the other side. They would block it if they could. I don't know. It just makes me a little bit sad, right, to watch this stuff because justice means something. The word means something. And it's just so perverted in these scenes and I hate seeing it done that way. And in real life, that's how it works. Okay. I, one thing I did not like about this scene is that if anything, I really like this episode, but this scene was a little bit heavy handed. I mean, they literally fade Jimmy out <laughs> like Jimmy's faded out. And now the new Saul is emerging and it's like a literal, you know, he's like, he was transforming. Yes, yeah, it was right a little there. too heavy-handed for me, but I mean, it's pretty clear that's what they're trying to tell us. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see, I didn't see um, anything heavy. Well, maybe, yeah, yeah. I guess I see what you're saying, but Jimmy didn't like this part of it, and it was like you know, like swallowing that bitter pill, but. He swallowed it. But Jimmy didn't like it, but Saul did. I mean, if anybody's sociopathic, it's Jimmy. He's becoming a different person. Okay, that was an interesting comment. Jimmy didn't like it, but Saul did. I like that. So they go up and speak to the judge privately, and the bond is set at $7 million cash. And Saul goes back to Lalo, and I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And Lalo says, I can do that. I'll call you. You need to pick it up. Might be interesting if Jimmy is the one who actually kills Lalo. Whoa. Because they make Jimmy pretty clearly, I said before, he's whispering away to a thread of his former being Jimmy, and now he's more and more Saul, and then fading up and fading him out. And now next scene with Howard, he's clearly more Saul than anything. You know, Howard, you're small. I'm going to be big. I'm going to be Ozymandias. I'm going to be Empire Builder. You know, he's clearly broken into Saul. Maybe he does something to Lalo. I don't know. It's it's just a wild thought. But I think I think Saul's going to really put. They're going to really put the stamp on Saul before this season's over, and that would be one pretty clear way of doing it. Well, they have to, don't they? I mean, they have to get. Essentially, they have to get him on something and i'm talking about like the bad guys he has to be one of them because otherwise he could turn on them he is now though but but he can turn on them right now 
But if he does something, then he couldn't. So that's really interesting. I mean, he couldn't without going down, too. That's really interesting that you said that. Okay, then we are, let's see, goodness, that was, my mind was going 100 miles a minute. Next to me, towered in the hallway. Yeah, outside the courtroom, and he's watching the DA talk to Fred's family and kind of spying on them. And that was a really interesting little little shot there with Jimmy's half face. He's one of those people, and I am too, that looks completely different on one side of their face than they do on the other side of their face. It didn't even look like, like Jimmy. You would have even thought it was Jimmy. Yeah, that. Seppenwall that was... had an interesting interpretation of that split face that the the mirrored side, the part in the reflection was less than half. So it wasn't mm-hmm. really a full face when you looked at it. Right. So the two, the two halves did not make a whole. So that Jimmy slash Saul is now less of a person during his because of his transformation into Saul. Hmm. He's not like one one full Jimmy now equals one full Saul. But he's less now that now he's less of a person because he's on his way to becoming Saul. Well, then Howard makes the mistake of walking up at that moment and talking about the job that he's offered him. And then he lets Jimmy know. And I wish they had let us know how Howard knew, because I want to know how Howard knew that was Jimmy. He rescinds his offer and says that he knows Jimmy's in pain and he hopes he gets the help he needs, blah, blah. And Jimmy loses it. He loses it. Yeah, Jimmy reacts, or Saul, I guess, Jimmy Saul, Saul. reacts mm-hmm. the way an, an unhealthy person would react and Howard, to Chuck's demise. And Howard has reacted in a normal person's way. He's very sad and kind of retri- retired type of person, kind of folds back in on himself, goes into meditation, his old namaste type zone and stuff. And now he's like back to being Howard. He's kind of healthy again. Jimmy didn't go that way. Jimmy broke into whatever he became as he became Saul. Essentially, he broke bad as he became a version of a lawyer that we know he is with, you know, Saul. Right. Howard's back to normal. Howard's back to Howard Hamlin. You know, Hamlindigo is his color and his, you know, Howard's firm is kind of back on its feet. And he's, you know, he's kind of recovered from this. Jimmy transformed, but I don't know if I'd call it recovered. No, I agree. I think Howard, as much as possible, try to use it to learn something and grow from it. And we see that this exact same thing kind of destroyed Jimmy. But he's calling Howard a teensy tiny man. He says that the job's too small. The job didn't, the offer didn't upset him. It amused him. He travels in worlds that Howard can't even imagine. And then he goes like, you know, he's off the top. Lightning bolts shoot from my fingertips. He's screaming this in the hallway, which is kind of reminded me of Kim, you know, like, talking in the hallway with rich just didn't care and he just doesn't care and howard walks away and he follows him doing this so it reminded me of ozymandias that jimmy foreseeing himself as this great monumental attorney that that overbears all the other lower lesser smaller attorneys and he's the greatest biggest and howard is just some little shrimp powerless person that's a slash attorney and then but ozymandias fades all 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 ozymandias um archetypes fade eventually and become dust like they showed in breaking bad 
And this is essentially now Jimmy will become Saul and become big in a little period of time, but eventually he's Gene. So I don't know. It kind of reminded me of that path of Ozymandias. Well, also all, I mean, everybody will tell you, I mean, whether it's true or not, but when people act like that, when they talk about themselves as being big, it's because they don't feel big. You people who feel big and strong don't have the need to scream it at other people as a general rule. Yeah, but people that do become big often talk like that, too. Like, think of, like, a Hitler or, a, you know, whatever, Genghis Khan. They were big. They were big, but they all fall. They all fade eventually. They become, you know, they diminish. Right. They, they, you can't be huge forever. Right. True. But that was the end. The end of the seventh episode. All right, Michelle, we're making this a long one. So next on's, what did you learn from next on? Next on's, Lalo is kicked back in his cell reading the newspaper. Lalo is telling Saul that there are people that want to keep him in prison. Kim has this really weird look on her face, and she's saying to Jimmy, you got him bail. And it's a weird look. It's a weird look. Lalo is looking at someone, presumably Saul, and saying, hey, you're the right guy for this. We see guys holding up and looking at money, sitting at a desk like it's their job. Yeah, they're counting money, right? Right. Well, counting yeah, out seven million in cash, sure. probably. Right. Right. Someone's changing license plates on a car and tossing the old plate in a container with many other plates. And then we see a car from the top with both seats completely covered in blood. All right, Michelle, we'll see you next week on 508 to see if Jimmy is indeed the Bagman that 508 is named Bagman. Okay. All right, great job. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.